0: Great to see you all. I'm Mark, if I haven't met you before. I'm one of the pastors here at One Hope. And uh, we've got great pleasure, and I'll introduce you to who we've got sitting on the couch in a second. But we're for those who have been uh, coming the last uh, few weeks, uh, you know we are in the middle of a, uh, a church value series. And uh, we've been looking at Build Community and uh, before that, we were looking at Pursue God, and we've, we're starting uh, to look at Grow People and uh, one of our church values. And I am really thrilled to be able to have a couple in our uh, church who have been a part of our church for a number of years, and uh, we're going to introduce them in a second. But Grow, grow People is something that these guys do, in, in, uh, in not just here in, in Geelong, but a very unique part of the world, which we're going to look at today. So I'd like to acknowledge both Phil and Carol this morning. Phil and Carol Short, as we put our hands together for them both. For those who don't know Phil and Carol, like I mentioned, they've been serving in a place called Niger, and we were chatting earlier about this place. I think I pronounced that right. Is that right? Niger. 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 Excellent, and uh, we're just going to talk a little bit about it. I think we've got a map of where Niger is. So we've got Australia there, just under Indonesia, uh, for those who don't know, and then we've got Niger and pretty much... Central Africa, Central... Yeah, West Africa. West we Africa. Mm. Excellent. You guys know your geography. My son, Sam, he absolutely loves maps and, and we're always looking at the, the maps and that is a place that often doesn't come up that regularly, does it? It's not the most uh, right. common uh, place that gets talked about and, uh, and it's quite hot as well. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later as well some of the harsh climate of Niger. Uh, but for, for you guys, uh, you've been serving, which is phenomenal... For 50 years, this September, it's pretty incredible. I think we've got a map too that's a little bit closer that zooms in a little bit of Niger. So there's there's a tiny little country right in the middle of a lot of desert. There isn't there, Phil? Yeah. Yes, so. it's
1: a desert country. But can I say, Mark? Thank you for the welcome, and it's wonderful to have had the privilege and the honour of living for Jesus among the Fulani people of Niger since 1974. And we thank God for the way that he's enabled us because we're just ordinary people just like you. And he's given us that great honour.
0: That's wonderful. You are ordinary people, and I know we're going to hear a little bit about how things started uh, for you shortly. Um, but I love this video. I think we've got the guys who are going to throw up a video because this was only 12 months ago, and this was a, a, an event which I'd love for you to talk a little bit about, uh, Phil, uh, which is the Herders Festival. Um, so that would be great if the guys could throw that up. Uh, that would be wonderful.
1: Yeah, so this time last year, we were invited by a Fulani king to attend this three days herders festival put on by the government to encourage pastoralist people. Four people groups came to that festival. The Fulani, the people we work among, the Arabs, the Tubu and the Tamajek. There were about 10,000 people there. And so we were the only non-Nigerians there. And so people were surprised to see us and uh, surprised to see that we were dressed like the Fulani. And the Fulani were amazed that we spoke their language. They were, Because it was far to the north of where we're based, some six hours drive through a difficult terrain, um, they, we met Fulani that we hadn't met before because they came from further north and east and west. And so we had a wonderful time relating to them. And uh, it, this festival... Yeah. yeah. And you're doing a little bit of teaching. Is that
0: amongst just... You're yeah, in, I so, think you can he you can't he pick it up, but you're actually in the corner there,
1: right near the the two the two three men. Yeah, so what's happening there is these Fulani who were just meeting us wanted to know how come we were learnt their language, and we told them that we had come all the way from our country, left our family and friends because we believe God wanted us to share with them God's message of forgiveness, and uh, so they were amazed to find that we were, had done that and that we were, had been in Niger for many years and they said to us, well, will you come uh, sometime in the future and visit us and share this message with us? So that's what was happening. That's there. amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing story. Yeah.
0: It feels very humble, Carol, um, but he just threw in there that he was invited by the king. This is the type of place, I'm not taking my family to the Nomads Herders Festival in the September school holidays. I'm right in saying, to be invited by the king. What, how did that come about?
2: The Fulani clans have um, lots of kings and we know quite a few of them. And this particular king we had helped, which we'll tell you about later, and um, he said, I'd love you to come up and to this festival with us, which we did. And um, we arrived at this place where... There was a big pavilion set up with fabric and on top of sticks and things and, and um, all of these seats were underneath uh, for all of the government officials and the kings and, the, and there was about 20 of these ma- seats set up there and then where were we going to sit? We sat at the feet of the king wow. uh, and, and we just watched the parade as it went by for about three hours and there were about 2,000 camels and it was very exciting and very hot.
0: Yeah, amazing. Amazing. So we, we might rewind a little bit because you don't just get invited to a festival by the King uh, without having some relationships. So we might just rewind a little bit. So 50 years, you guys were newly married. Uh, you were living uh, in Geelong, Phil. Uh, Carol, you were studying. Just Let's just go back in 50 years back. A lot of us may not have been born around that time, but there's some significant stuff that happened back 50 years ago that led to you uh, placing you guys as a family in Niger.
1: So it was that more than 50 years ago when I'd left school and had uh, decided that life for me was going to be living and working on the family dairy farm in Whittington at the time. And so in my first year of farming, I thought this is pretty good and uh, really love working with animals. And I was a committed member of Fenwick Memorial, now Mullat Baptist. And I don't think they were the animals in Whittington Farm, is that right? <laughs>
0: That's back <laughs> no, in Africa.
1: <laughs> and um, so in my first year of farming, Easter time, we went up to the Belgrave Heights Convention. And uh, during Missionary Day, this missionary speaker spoke about the great need of unreached people groups and he said there's something like 12,000 unreached people groups in the world, 2,000 years after Jesus had given us the command to go and make known the gospel to all peoples and to go into all the world and so when I got back onto the farm I started to think about this and was praying about it and I said Lord how can it be that 2,000 years have passed and still there's so many people groups who haven't heard about you. And it seemed to me that the Lord was saying, it's because young people like you who say you love me, you're not prepared to do what I've asked you to do, to go and to tell them. And so that led to me leaving the farm and going to Bible school to prepare to do that somewhere where I didn't know where at the time.
0: Yeah, so it was long after you met Carol, you guys are married. So you're a newly married couple. And you're choosing to go to the middle of Africa uh, back in the 60s. Uh, there wasn't, obviously, FaceTime and all the technology, Zoom, and all <coughs> the things that we have to, today. And this is a place, too, in the hot season. And this is, the hot season's not like we're used to. Uh, it lasts for two and a half months uh, from March to May with an average high temperature of above 39.
1: Yeah, actually, um, it's the cold season the last two and a half months. It's the hot season that lasts... My research was spot on, wasn't it? That's <laughs> why we've
0: got you here, Phil. So that's great.
2: March to October, and the temperature can be in the forties. Wow.
1: So why? What? Why? Why this place? Okay. So um, should I? Or you better? Here you go, Carol.
2: So um, so we were asking God where where we should go. I'd finished nursing. I came to Geelong to do nursing, and then midwifery and Phil had already, as he said, he was looking at doing missionary work. I felt God challenging me about missionary work when I was 10. So that's like 60-something years ago. Wow. And um, always knew that I would be a missionary, but I didn't know where. And then we met we met, and um, found that we were on the same wavelength. And we started to ask God where we could serve. And we read a missionary magazine. It was one that talked about forgotten peoples of West Africa and there were four main pastoralist groups they mentioned. They said they're too, they've they been forgotten by Western missions because they're very difficult to reach. We both came off the land. We knew about cattle. We, we felt like this might be something that God was challenging us for. And then in three different ways, people spoke to us about this particular people group, the Fulani. And it was like God was confirming that that yeah. was where we were to go. And then... Niger because that's where they are and the director of the mission medicine he said he'd just been out there to visit right over to the east near Lake Chad where we were and he said there's so many thousands and thousands of these Fulani people who have never heard anything about Jesus and that was our challenge.
0: We'll we'll stick with you Carol because you guys obviously moved you decide to then start a family but not move back to Geelong and start a family you decide to stay and that must have been a pretty big decision. Talk us through that, the decision to start a family in away from family and friends.
1: Carol's one of eight so she loves having big families. <laughs>
2: that helped actually because I was the eldest of eight and I had lots of little brothers and sisters that I could mother. Um, we never imagined that we would come home after a few years. We knew that this might be a lifelong calling um, because of... People who had gone before us. And so um, when God, yes, um, blessed us with children, that was a great gift. And it was like, how wonderful that um, children can open the hearts of people. And they really did, and um, deepen relationships with the people. Not that I was afraid um, in a way. And I remember when I was about midway through my first pregnancy. And yeah, like we were 800 kilometres from a hospital. There was no doctors that I could go to. I had no prenatal care. Um, I was a nurse midwife, as I said, so I could sort of f- track my progress. But there was this particular time that I was a bit concerned that maybe I should see a doctor. If I did, would have to travel three days. And so I, I was just praying at the open window one morning. It was six o'clock. I'd been reading in Isaiah such a book of promises, um, that one. And asking God, should we go? What should we do? And he's very clearly, I heard him say to me in my head, um, don't be afraid, will not I take care of you? And that to me was like God speaking to me. You know, Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples and teach and baptise. And lo I am with you always. And it was like, he said that to me personally just then. And that was like, I can trust him. I can trust him with anything and everything and with my children. So when we had a three-month-old baby and we took him out to the Fulani camps, uh, we didn't know what they'd do. We didn't know what might happen. But I allowed them, to, the women to take my baby. And they took him around all the camps. And everybody oohed and ahed and never seen a white baby before. They'd never seen white people until we got there. And here was this baby with no hair and they couldn't believe it. And um, when he came back, he had been dabbled, dabbed with saliva from all the women because that's what you do when you bless a baby. Wow. So um, yeah, like it's I'm trusting God, aren't I? So. Um, Incredible. I learned that the best way when you're out in the camps is to keep the baby tied tightly on your back and he'll be happy and nobody will take him off your back. So I felt like I had the best solution. But um, I wanted to say, um, uh, what did I want to say here? Just I think we got a few more knew, images
0: too uh, um, we, we you knew and the family. That,
2: um, here we are. So we could take our boys out in the, and we slept in the back of our Land Cruiser and we had bunk beds up on the top and, and we slept on the, Thing, uh, you, on this is where you lived. This, no, we did a lot of trekking. So we had to find the fulani We had to go out to where they were. We had to go out to their camps. We found them at their wells, and they'd say, "Come home and have uh, and spend the night with us. You can't stay all by yourself." And so um, that's so, the way. So we, we had did. a
1: base that yep. where we lived on the edge of a in yep. a big market town, and then we would travel out from there to where the fulani are, to their wells and encampments, yeah.
0: and. Uh, Obviously, you got the two boys uh, as well, and they're grown-up so boys God now. God blessed
2: us with three boys, and three then we boys. had a girl. And yep. the Muslims said, oh, I was very clever. Yeah. And, and God <laughs> was very good to us to give us three boys. But then they said, you should have a girl. And I said, why is that? Because they, the boys need someone to look after them.
0: Oh, That's wonderful. <laughs> that's great. So in preparation uh, for today... I was watching a news clip from uh, that festival of nomads which we uh, talked about earlier and the mayor of Ingal, which you probably have met, I'm not sure if you know him, but uh, I was watching a news clip of this man and he said, it is said that a people that loses its culture is a people that disappear. So the Fulani people from the time that you guys have moved there have grown from 20 million to 40 million. It seems they are not disappearing. Who are they? What is their culture? And what have you done through uh, your team as well, obviously you guys as a family and others, in the last 50 years to build those connections?
1: Yeah, so the Fulani people are scattered across West Africa from the west to Senegal to the ocean right across to the Sudan, south of the Sahara. So there's many different clans across that area. And in Niger, there's about 4 million of them, I think, but, as you said, 40 million right across. Um, They are... uh, pastoralist people and so life focuses around their animals and going to wells and markets and so on and um, so they really live for their animals they're a very hospitable people they're Islamic and actually the Fulani Islamized much of West Africa about 200 years ago under a Fulani king Granfodio, who wanted to imitate what Muhammad had done up in the north years before um, The Fulani are very, um, they're very patient. Patience is one of the biggest qualities in their culture. But Islam affects every part of their life from the day they're born till the day they die. They are very, also very um, influenced by animism, what they were before they became Muslims. And so they have many taboos. They can't move on certain days or they'll be that something bad might happen or they can only cut their hair on certain days and all sorts of things. They're really afraid of of the dark and at night and the spirits and so they have many of the religious clerics. They also make charms for people to fight against the, uh, the spirits and so on. Mm. So that's what their culture is like but they they keep to themselves a lot and just like that mayor of Ingall said that if... Uh, People lose their culture, they disappear and some of the Fulani have moved into big cities and their children no longer speak the Fulani language, they speak the trade language and so they are losing their culture, so it's an example of that. Yeah. But to build relationships is the other part of the question. You it, it is, but one of the things that I love too when we
0: caught up, Phil, and, and Carol mentioned this a lot when we caught up, is you'd often just throw away the line, share the message. Uh-huh. And at the start we saw a video where you're sitting sitting down there's a lot of photos as well and opportunities and you know we are talking about what it looks like to grow people yeah. and the beautiful pictures that I've seen and the images that I've imagined in my head is you sharing the message as well. Uh, Carol uh, playing a role as well just with uh, Mm. those in the community and doing what Carol does so well is just loving and pouring her heart into uh, everyone. Uh, Mm. But just unpack that a little bit around what it does look like about sharing the message in these spaces.
1: Yes, it's wonderful the opportunities we have to do that, but the Fulani people are very open to talk about spiritual things it's not embarrassing, it's not difficult. So just in the normal relating to them as we go out to their encampments, there's opportunities to talk about spiritual things that comes up all the time. But when we're out visiting them, because we know so many of them now over the years, and we've been accepted so well among them, then uh, we are able to share with them who Jesus is and why he came. And the way we do that is to use the chronological approach of teaching scripture from creation right through to the coming of Jesus and um, the main theme of salvation through the scripture. And it's easy to do that in a sense because there's many bridges between Islam and the gospel and Christianity. Many of the prophets that are mentioned in the Quran the biblical prophets like Adam and Noah and Moses and David and on and on you can go. And in, Islam, in the Muslim teaching or in the Quran, there's very little narrative about these prophets. They don't know much about them. And so they're very interested to hear. And another thing is that when religious clerics come and teach and share the, their message, they do it in Arabic. Well, you don't speak Arabic. When we go to their camp, we share in their mother tongue. And they're amazed when we open the scripture and start reading to them. And, and uh, then we also use uh, visual aids like pictures and it's an oral culture and that really helps um, engage them as well. And then they love to hear about Jesus because Jesus is mentioned a lot in the Quran, more than any other prophet. But they don't believe that Jesus said anything more than a prophet. So as we share with them... About at Jesus' birth and his teaching, his death and resurrection. As we've gone through the Old Testament too to prepare for that, it's amazing how God works in people's lives. And yeah. And also, you mentioned the megavoice. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Just maybe share a little bit about what the megavoice is. And uh...
1: I think you might be familiar with a little solar-powered mega voice. It holds a tremendous amount of material with the chip that's in it. And so it's all in their mother tongue, it's got the New Testament on it, it's got um, a lot of biblical or chronological teaching, it's got teaching on after you, when you become a believer, how do you live as a believer, on prayer and, and all sorts of things.
2: Songs, there's health teaching, all sorts of things. Yeah. So it could become, if you don't have any other teaching at all, yeah. then this could bring really disciple you. Yeah.
1: Amazing. And it's especially great because we are not with the people all the time. We, we visit and because they're nomads, they're moving around, then there's the semi-nomadic people. and So when you can leave them a mega voice, it's amazing how they listen to it. They listen to it in groups. Muslim clerics are listening to it. And we've been back to an encampment after leaving a Megavoice for maybe six weeks and as we've shared a message, and sometimes it's Ada or Ali that we're travelling with, some of our Fulani leaders, I've been sitting next to a, 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 a gentleman, a Fulani herder, and he said, oh, I heard that on the Megavoice. I heard that on the Megavoice. And so you know that they're listening to it. And these megavoice[s] are going to areas where we've never been because someone will come to a relative's camp because someone died, and they hear this message, we've never heard such good news. Can we have it? And t- they take it back to where they came from. So Amazing. look what God is doing. Yeah. Ah, I love that. So good. You shared a little bit uh, around
0: some of the Christian leaders, Ado, Ado I think his Ardo, name is, Ado, yeah. and others that you mentioned. Obviously 50 years ago when you first moved there, well, there really wasn't any locals. Yeah. Uh, so now in the last uh, 20 years, uh, there's, uh, for believers... Uh, what, what's something that started uh, that has been quite impactful in, uh, in Niger? Um,
2: so we were running um, regional Bible conferences for, in different places for people to come together so that they would have, have fellowship together. And at one of those in 2008, one of the Fulani older men, he said, this is all very good to have three or four days like this, but we need something a lot more than this. And this was the first time they'd ever shown any interest in in any sort of education, Western education, didn't interest them at all. But now they were wanting to learn to read. And it was because they were Christians and because they wanted to read the Bible. And so we said, well, tell us how you would like it to be set up. Where would you want to be? How? Would, what time of the year would you be able to do it? And so they told us and, and in 2010, um, we we opened the Forforkley Ministry Training Centre. So it, in the 14, 15 years since then, we've had more than 160 students go through it and they go back to where they've come from. That's our goal really is that they go back to where they come from and they teach their own community, teach them in, how to pray, how to, how to be discipled and... Um, so yes, yeah, so that's been a, a huge encouragement to uh, us to have amazing. that.
1: So amazing. it's really equipping the Falani people to make disciples among themselves because of their nomadism, it's hard to put pastors and evangelists in all those places. Mm-hmm. But as they go back to their communities, they're doing the work themselves and often going to other areas too this week I had a phone call from one of our former students and he said would you pray for me I'm going up to bring the gospel to another people group uh, many hours north of where we live would you pray that God will use my and he speaks this other language because he grew up among them so he's gone up there to share
0: it's an amazing story because what I love about it when you guys moved yeah. 50 years ago and you were there in your in your van uh, in the back of that and then you look at that image of you at a, at a Bible college teaching and, and instructing and encouraging and sending out. Yeah. It's a great image of what it looks like to grow people yeah. and uh, I just love that. Yeah. So you, you talked a little bit around some of the, the leaders. Uh, Addo um, who you uh, shared with me and he's, he's someone that you've known for a number of years. Yeah. Uh, just if you could share a about his story because it's pretty remarkable.
1: Yeah, well, Ardo it was a just a normal herder growing up with his family, and there was a famine, and he came you got in... an image of Ardo. I think he's a
0: picture of him. Is that,
1: that's our man, Ardo with the white hat on. Yeah, white hat. So when he was a teenager in famine, he came into a bigger town near where his family where his uh, people were, heard the gospel there, and he became a believer. And so as a yeah, as a teenager, he believed in Jesus. And when his family heard that he'd become a believer, they were so ashamed that he had turned away from Islam that they wouldn't let him eat with them uh, or sleep with them. And this is a communal culture, you, mind you. And here he is all on his own and he was called a dog. And wherever he went, people hounded him and tried to get him to turn back to Islam. And uh, he had been recently married and... His in-laws said, if you don't turn back to Islam, we'll take your wife away. So he thought about it, but he couldn't uh, give up Jesus because he said, I found the truth. Jesus has forgiven me my sin. He is my good shepherd. He's my savior. He is worth more than anything else in life. And so he felt terrible loneliness, and, but as the years passed by, people saw that he was very good at resolving disputes between young people, particularly fights that often broke out between Fulani and, and other tribes and even among their own people. And uh, eventually he married another lady. I can't give you the whole story. it take too long. And she became a believer, and they're a wonderful couple. And then as he g- became older, when the president of Niger was looking for someone uh, advisors in various regions across Niger and all the different states or departments so the community ha- had to elect someone to represent them to the president so the community in the Gouré region elected Ardo and here he's a, a Christian all the others are Muslims and they said why did they elect Ardo why did you elect him because of his integrity we can trust him and uh, because of his great gifts in resolving disputes. And so he went into the capital to meet the president and uh, found out his responsibilities. And so he had responsibility for overseeing the digging of wells, the building of schools and clinics, and uh, even the gendarmes and the police, they had to get his signature to get parts for their vehicles. And so here's this Christian who got honored in this way And uh, now Ardo, he's the one we live with because uh, we had to move from where we were based because of Boko Haram and we had to move across to another region. The government wanted us to move a few hundred kilometres. We didn't have anywhere to live because the SIM base had been completely destroyed in Muslim riots the year before. And so Ardo said, come and live with us and so we do that and he is so well known throughout that whole region he's no longer representing that president because a different president has taken that role but he's still called the advisor by people and the government of governments often calling him for to give his advice and wisdom and we're meeting all sorts of people through living in his home and we go out trekking with him digging wells and so on yeah so with someone like Ardo, who's obviously a
0: person of influence. You guys have been going there for 50 years. Mm-hmm. What are the modern-day challenges uh, in the country at the moment?
2: Oh, wow. Um, Niger had a, a, a military coup last July, and um, the European... Sorry. the um, Countries around about decided to put sanctions on, so the borders have been closed and there's been no food or, or medicine allowed into the country and the cash supply is becoming very um, low as well. But we just heard this week that the sanctions have been lifted. So we don't know what that's going to mean. But people are going in and out. Missionaries are going back and forth. So we hope to go ourselves in about um, end of October.
1: And another huge challenge is the growing militancy of Islam and so over in the east, where near where we're based, Boko Haram is very active and you never know where they're going to turn up and many people have been killed. Ali, one of our co-workers in the east who has taken over ministry that we had when we had to leave, he often receives death threats and he knows herders who's had their throats cut and are left dead in the bush and Boko Haram takes their animals and uh, villages are being burnt. And then further west we've got uh, um, Al-Qaeda and... ISIS and other groups that are coming in from Mali and, uh, and in, so western Niger is being affected by that and then in northern Nigeria that's also a problem. So that's a huge issue and um, yeah, so there's are some of the things and we're not sure what's going to happen in terms of Niger because they've decided not to look to the west as they have in the past because they've been uh, put off by... Uh, france and they feel that france has taken advantage of them it was a former french colony and so they're leaning toward russia so we would appreciate prayer that god will keep the door open because we're there on missionary visas can you believe it in a, in a muslim community and Amazing. we have all these opportunities to share the good news about jesus and his majesty and what a wonderful honor and privilege we have in doing that yeah incredible one yeah
0: i love i love that and the yeah. prayer the prayer is important. And uh, for you guys, what, what is the plan this year? Are you heading back soon?
1: Yes, we're planning to head back in October, end of October, early November. We want to visit up in that northern area where you, we started with a video and also to continue visiting in the areas that we dig wells. We didn't have time to talk about that. But when we moved to Gouray, we started to dig wells because one of the kings said that their young men were dying when they went down into the traditional wells to clean them because the wells would collapse on them and bury them alive and asked if we would help them build concrete reinforced wells. So we eventually got into that and uh, every community that we've gone to to dig these wells are completely unreached with the gospel, strongly Muslim, but it's just opened a great door to relationships and so that's, uh, yeah. we appreciate prayer for that. But we continue to connect with people while we're home as well yeah. because of today's internet, yeah. Yeah, well, we, we really have appreciated uh, you what you have done for 50
0: years. <laughs> Something that, I, when I was reflecting from our catch-up, yeah. you minister in a desert where land is dry, <clears throat> it's barren, and things can seem uh, quite challenging uh, for the, in terms of the landscape. And here in Geelong, you know, yes... We're blessed uh, with many things and, and uh, our houses, our, our lifestyles, all of that stuff. But spiritually, we also can be dry and things can get barren. Mm. What are some things that you've learned in 50 years of, of working in the desert, you guys journeying together as, a, as husband and wife, as a family? What are some key things that you have learned in, in uh, those barren, dry times that apply to
1: our, our lives even today? Um, I think when I've sensed a time of dryness, uh, the Lord has often spoken to me about my relationship with him. Remember how he said, he who has my commands and obeys them loves me and my father loves them and I will reveal myself to them. And so as we do what Jesus wants us to do, he reveals himself to us. And I don't mean just by saying, oh, going out to preach the gospel, that's doing what he wants us to do. That's important. And I'm sure if you're witnessing for Jesus, you get a real sense of fulfilment and joy in that. But uh, things like, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Uh, Love each other as I have loved you. Do we love each other like that? Do we forgive one another as he forgave us? Do we seek to keep the unity of the, of the Spirit? Um, do we love our neighbour as we've been asked to do? And if we're doing all of those things, it helps to stop the dryness. I think another thing that uh, I've often been challenged about is that as a believer we are to deny ourselves to take up our cross daily and follow him. We have to die to ourselves. And we were singing before about having the Holy Spirit come and fill us. But we need, there's our part in dying to ourselves and giving up our rights. And when we do that, we have a real sense of vitality. And another thing that I found just about 10 years ago, we were almost thinking of giving up on Niger because of the growing threat of Boko Haram. They were even in our village and at night when we would hear a vehicle coming, we were wondering, oh, is that Boko Haram? And I remember how some of the songs of Sons of Korah would encourage us, he watches over you, he watches over you. But when we got home after that stint, we thought, ah, we've been out in Niger a fair while, we could retire. And as I was thinking about that, I was wrestling with God about His will for my life, and Carol and I were talking about it, and God challenged me through this statement. I think it was Francis Drake who wrote it. It goes like this. Stir us, O Lord, to dare boldly, to venture on wider seas, where storms shall show thy mastery. Disturb us, Lord, when we are too well pleased with ourselves, when our dreams have become true because we dream too little. When we have arrived safely because we sailed too close to the shore. And the Lord really challenged us about going back to Niger. And it was since then that we moved to Goura and we worked we started working with wells. Ten years of or well, yeah. Well nine years we've had the privilege and honor of working among new communities as well as encouraging believers across Niger.
0: Amazing, uh, Phil and Carol. We really appreciate the, the fact that even through all of that, you say it's still a privilege and an honour, and 50 years and, uh, and still going. Uh, we just wanted to honour and uh, acknowledge God's goodness uh, in all of this. And we're going to be singing uh, that uh, uh, this morning as we,
1: as we finish. Uh, Can I just say uh, uh, one more thing? I'd love you to say one more um, thing, Phil. We want you to know that we don't feel particularly special in that, What we've been doing, some people think, oh, I couldn't do that. You could if God called you to, because it's God working through us. I just left the farm, went to Bible college, went to Niger, and it's God working in and through us as we make ourselves available. But I want to say that it's not just what we have done through Christ's help and through the Spirit's work. But it's a partnership of the church with us and we thank God for the partnership of One Hope Mulap over these 50 years and some of you here are bearable too and many others around Australia because of all the ways in which people are partnering with us not only through for our own support so that we have bit of bread and butter but for the training centre and the well digging and Ali's work all of this is something that God has given us the privilege and our partners to have a role in so thank you for your part in it your prayer and your financial support and your encouragement thanks Mark sorry thanks Phil I've talked too much (laughs) no not at all
0: We just really are so appreciative. And, and your, your willingness just to share the story, uh, we just really value and we, we love it. There's so much that we can be encouraged and inspired. But I love what you said there at the end, Phil, just the, the ordinary and the fact that you've been willing uh, to be called. And we all can uh, respond to God in our own different ways uh, and where we're at. So um, really appreciate Let's put our hands again for Phil and Carol this morning.